0: Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast for data enthusiasts, data scientists, and upcoming data science leaders, where you can learn the skills required to take your career to the next level. We do this by hearing the lessons learned and the journeys of today's industry leaders. My name is Felipe Flores and I am your host. Thank you so much for listening and I hope that you're having a wonderful week. Today, we'll be hearing from Jay Liu. He's the Chief Data Scientist at Digital Dandelion. He's based out in London in the UK. He's an award-winning chief data scientist specializing in helping insurance and medical organizations innovate by bringing in data science, machine learning, and AI. He's been doing this for almost five years now. On the side, he lectures in data analytics, and he has a long career of working as a data scientist as in senior positions and lead position, etc. He even spent some time working here in Australia earlier in his career. This is a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoy it and please stick around till the end to hear from our sponsors and show them some love. Also, if you're finding this podcast valuable and useful, please consider helping us out on Patreon. I would really appreciate it and it would definitely help us make this podcast so much better, getting even greater guests and putting out more and more content for you. Thank you so much and I hope that you enjoy the chat with Jay. Hi, this is Felipe Flores, and today we're speaking with Jay Liu. How are you doing, mate? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, very well. Thanks for uh, making the time to do the interview. Been really curious to hear more about you, about what you're doing, and get some of your thoughts on the podcast. So thanks a lot for making the time. At the beginning of the interview, I always like to ask people about how they got into the field, into data science, and what were the early days like? How was that journey for you? My
1: journey is very, very, very random. Actually, it's probably not what most people would do, but I'll let me just tell you what I did. So, I yeah. actually did law at university. I studied law. The viewers can't see this, but I'm actually Asian. I'm Chinese. My parents wanted me to be a doctor or a lawyer because they're very traditional. So, I did law. It was really, really, really boring. But actually, it's more interesting now because I have been talking to quite a lot of uh, law firms about how machine learning and artificial intelligence can help law firms. But we can talk about that later. So, I did law. Really boring. So, I decided. Actually, what I really like wanted to do was to be a writer for a, a magazine. After university, I took one year out and created a student lifestyle magazine, which is incredibly fun. But the thing I didn't realize is that magazines had to make money. I just thought I could just go along and write some really interesting, cool stories, and that will be it. But one of these magazine publishers I was talking to gave me a job working in advertising. So I worked in advertising for three months. So within three months, in the first month, I got promoted. And then in the next two oh, wow. months, I got fired. It was, again, lots of hard. Lessons about business. Basically, this can continue to any field. Don't annoy your boss, even if they're really, really stupid, because they'll fire you. And that's what happened. So, I was oh, working right. for a magazine in terms of advertising. It was kind of fun at the start, living in London, kind of getting drunk, meeting lots of cool people. And then I kind of got made redundant for three days. Then I got a new job working in advertising. So, basically, I was buying advertising, press advertising for Mars UK. So, that's like Snickers, Maltese. Starburst, lots of basically sweet brands. And I nice. did that for two years as a media wow. planner and buyer at one of the biggest uh, media agencies in the world. I was getting too fat because what happens <laughs> in uh, advertising in fifty, uh, like 15 years ago is that I had basically 10 million pounds to spend on certain adverts for my brands on in various newspapers and magazines. What happens is that basically people bribe you into spending money with them indirectly by taking you out for lunch and parties. So I had very little money, but I had lots of, been to lots of Michelin-style restaurants at the age of 22. <laughs> but then I kind of thought this is really uninspiring. I actually want to get to data. And that's actually when my data science journey starts. So then I started working for a supermarket consultancy called Dunhumby. I don't know if you've heard of Dunhumby, but that's basically yes. the company which started Tesco club card data, like loyalty cards in the UK for the first time. And I was specializing in their media evaluation department. So people would do adverts and they wanted to see if the sales of certain products within Tesco went up. And that was a proxy for did sales go up in the whole nation. And because Tesco had something like 35% of the market at the time, yeah, it was actually a, a really, really nice
0: data set. How did you go from a media planner and buyer to data scientist? I'm
1: very enthusiastic. I don't know if you notice. So I learned a lot. I've always been good at maths and physics and kind of coding and stuff like that as a kid. I said to them basically, I went in, I know media. You know nothing about media. I know nothing about coding. So I had to learn SAS. But I'm very smart. So I'll learn it really quickly because I learned everything really quickly. They were kind of convinced by that. For anybody listening who wants to get to data science, be incredibly confident and just say, hey, it's impossible to learn all the languages in the world in terms like Python, R, SAS, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But just say, I know one at least it's really easy to once you know one it's really easy to know another one so just be very confident that was quite
0: good back then that is great and the fact that you're leveraging your experience so far that also helps but it's such a great way to do it leveraging yeah. what you have and be confident back yourself
1: exactly what happens now I meet a lot of graduate or new or want to be data scientists I do a bit of teaching as well at general Assembly uh, now and again and being a data scientist is not just knowing the kind of equations the algorithms learning how to write python or R code that's kind of a given the kind of really good data scientists actually know how to use data science to make businesses people's experiences so much better basically leveraging what you know so if you are wanting to go to data science maybe the best way to to do it is to understand how data science could help your current industry or your current company and then once you understand those use cases start training up and doing loads of Moob, uh courses online then hopefully you'll start getting some, your first experiences
0: so great advice so how long were you at that humby and you said you were looking at into loyalty cards at that point is that right
1: Yeah, so basically, loyalty card in the UK is basically when you go into a supermarket, you give them a loyalty card, so they can track every single thing you buy. And every month, you get a set of vouchers based on your purchasing behavior. So partly one of my jobs was basically to understand and create clusters, segmentations, prediction model to understand what types of vouchers or offers should we give specific individual people so that they will increase their spend in terms of more visits or experimenting with more expensive brands or or increasing their size of basket that's essentially what we did and that's essentially what they're still doing it's still going on very strong at the moment so a lot of the supermarkets have caught up so actually i think a lot of loyalty cards are struggling for innovation because people get bored especially in this kind of tinder-esque youtube video twitter generation that we live in so
0: that's right. What did that period teach you, or what were some of the skills and the learnings that you got? From sure. That? So, I learned how to code, obviously. So, I learned
1: how to use SAS. R is a version of it's kind of the free version of SAS for some of the views, if you don't know. So, most people know R now. I learned how to code. I learned how to talk to clients and learn how to QA, which is actually a lost skill, in my opinion. I'd actually say the environment within dunhumbi was the best environment I've ever worked in in terms of going into it from the off. They understood the power of data. They understood that data is not just how big it is, but actually what the quality is. And they focus a lot on the data quality and the management of that. I learned an appreciation of if you don't have the right materials, you can't actually do any data analysis, however good your coding or your algorithms are. And a lot of teamwork, actually. A lot of data scientists, I find, very smart, academically outstanding, but completely useless because they can't work in a team. They can't appreciate other people's opinions as well, which I find is, a, is a very frustrating. They feel that their opinions are, they've been told that they're smart and they've got straight A's throughout their lives and therefore their opinions much higher than everybody else's but actually what data science is about is collaboration testing ideas not being scared to seem stupid because actually as a data scientist as data scientists we have to go into every single situation with an open mind so even a silly suggestion shouldn't be discounted because one it could be right or two it could lead to a chain of conversations which actually could lead to a really good
0: answer so That's exactly right. Completely agree that teamwork just makes everything better. It makes you learn faster. It makes you more productive. And having an open mind and a humble disposition is definitely a big, big part of that. That's really great. And tell me, why did you say that QA is a lost skill? Uh, because
1: people don't do it's not embedded in people's cultures business cultures the thing about data science the thing about anything actually is that everybody makes mistakes it's a given so if you do whatever you've done you would have made a mistake somewhere and the only way you can catch your mistake is by QA and most companies don't have that for various reasons so one a lot of companies they just have one or two data scientists if they only have one data scientist they don't actually have anybody capable of QAing their work Two, a lot of data scientists personalities are very arrogant and they feel that they never make mistakes which is completely ludicrous. Because everybody makes mistakes, especially with coding or logical leaps of faith, and also things are so fast moving in business, especially because we have something things online that we don't have time. We have so much pressure on us as data scientists to deliver work and basically deliver answers what people want to hear, not necessarily the right answers. And even if you give them an answer, say, "Hey, little significance isn't great on this one," or "We're not really, we haven't got the complete picture," people don't care. and They'll just kind of go forward after that. So it, this vigorous search for the best answer that you can have is not ingrained in modern business cultures for one i can tell
0: i don't know if you found out as well yeah yeah there's definitely a high high pressure to get the work out quickly and for people and teams uh, data science teams to be as productive as possible and then i do agree that there's too little testing and quality assurance work being done and i wonder whether it's not ingrained in Upbringing of data scientists in the way that it is for software developers, or whether it's more difficult to do testing and quality assurance in data, and therefore it goes to the back burner. What do you think about it? It's boring, right? So if you get an answer
1: in two days, you should spend another, at least another day checking the answer, right? That's the type of time period you should be looking at. But it's boring, right? If somebody says to you what you're doing and you're seeing QA, they'll just think you're just being pernickety, right? And they'll never know that you've done a good job because they'll just get an answer. And by the time that answer might have ramifications, which were bad, that could be months, weeks, months, years down the line. This kind of goes back to what I was saying True. before. It's that personal pride, that kind of vigorous nature, which you need as a data scientist, because it's very often that nobody else is going to catch you on it essentially you're your own police and some people with no rules or no structure or no oversight will do things very chaotically but actually the great data scientists have their own internal
0: discipline yes that's right completely agree that's so interesting
1: Following on from this point, we're living in a world where automation and artificial intelligence and the use of deep learning neural network is getting more embedded in society, and there's a race to automate even more to kind of push the boundaries. And I think what we've seen let's use Facebook as an example. What we've seen is that with Facebook, they basically had a strategy of let's just give as much data as possible, let's grow as fast as possible. This is very much the model of California, the Silicon Valley. It doesn't matter what you do, just grow, get market share, test your idea and grow, grow, and grow. And then just think of the the consequences later. And then what actually happens is that further on the line, you you realize that a lot of harm has been done. So you can use Facebook as an example in this country, Uber in this country as well, Deliveroo in this country, all this automation. But are people really thinking about the consequences? Are people thinking about the ramifications long term? That's not ingrained in our culture. Nobody is really thinking long term. Nobody is cautious. That's a big thing I find as a problem in our industry. People constantly are talking about the benefits of AI but do actually people think about the when things can go wrong? How could things go wrong? What percentage of time is spent doing those types,
0: having those types of conversations? In my experience, almost zero to very little. That's right. I agree. And I think it's very much a part of human nature, really, to think short term, to measure the effects of decisions or actions only in a short term manner and not to think more strategically about the long term. And I think that happens with executive decisions or how executives get measured and also a lot in data science. And one example that comes to mind that I'd love to hear your thoughts about is on the bias in data and in machine learning and essentially the, the ethical consequences of that where at the moment, if as we go through the automation, like you were saying, if we're not careful about the long term consequences of our work as data scientists, then it is extremely likely that we will be creating algorithms that will have embedded biases that have been present in a society for a while and that we should be working to get rid of those biases. And if we don't have the long term perspective of the impact of our work, then it'll be hard to identify and work to make those improvements. What is your view? And obviously related to a discussion about the long-term impacts of our work, what do you think about the ethics and the bias side that we should be considering? I think
1: a lot of people have to understand how the majority of machine learning algorithms work is that there's an assumption that the past predicts the future. And if you have that logical chain, if the past predicts the future, then the future is going to be based on the past. And therefore, if you're going to make judgments on that in terms of, say, businesses, then they're going to focus on what's worked in the past. There's a kind of inherent bias there. I don't know if I explain that very well, but what could happen is that if you don't have good enough reviews of your data science model, you don't have a good enough data quality, you just have systems which produce the the same results over and over and over and and they get more ingrained and ingrained and ingrained and actually what you need to do when you're building new systems is always introduce elements of randomness into there otherwise if you don't introduce randomness and significant randomness so you can pick up on how people are changing or the environment's changing then all you're going to do is just search for data which reconfirms conclusions
0: which are based on past conclusions which will continue for ad infinitum That's exactly right. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting area for our industry now and and into the future, definitely. When we're looking to set up the interview, what are the things that are thought that really stood out about you for me was a few things. One is your international experience, the fact that you work in the UK, in Hong Kong, in Brisbane. That's one. The fact that you went obviously from outside of data science, from law and media into data science, and then work in marketing, and then back to data science and onto a startup and a new company. They're really exciting elements, I think, and obviously have given you really diverse experience. Could you tell us how a little bit about that journey of going, uh, I guess we're in the point of in data science, you're working in data science and then went into marketing and then back to data science. How was those those transitions and those periods for you? It was just reflective of my personality at the time. I'm a bit older now. I've recently got married. I'm going
1: to have my first kid. I'm going to move into my first home and start a new family. So everything's Amazing. kind of getting more settled down. I have had my business for the last four years, but for the previous, from 18 to say 30, 35, I was... Lost, and what I mean by that is, when I was growing up, life seemed different. It seemed like you had a career for life. You were going to be a doctor, that was going to be your thing. You were going to you know, be a lawyer, that was going to be your thing. And actually, the job markets at the moment are so transient, but completely stop-start. That I think after I got fired after three months, I just kind of had this in my head that nothing potentially can last very long. And actually, what you should do is get as much out of it as possible. So I've actually never worked in a company as a full-time employee for two years because I actually think that when you're young, young you can get very stale very quickly and i always think that you can learn how to do a job within three to six months and then you're just repeating and repeating and repeating so what i want to do i want to live i want to have experience new cultures live in lots of far away places what i've learned from these things is that data is data people are people and what i mean by that is when you want to use data and, and data science you need to have good quality data you need to understand the provenance of their data where it came from and what the definitions really mean that's that's always a starting point and i basically before i even start a job i will spend As long as it takes to make sure that I understand that when something says four, I know exactly where that four came from. Was it from somebody literally entering four on a keyboard somewhere, or was it machine generated by based on certain rules? So understanding data is very key. And then the second point about the people is all people are the same. So if you're a budding data scientist, actually this applies to anybody in any job. The way you get promoted is by making your boss's job so much easier that they do really well. They'll get promoted, and you'll go into their place. So you get promoted by getting your boss promoted. If you want to think of anything about your work, it's not about doing the best work you can. If you want to get further in your career, it's about basically how can I make my boss's job as easy as possible? That's kind of been a universal thing.
0: I completely agree. And then that's the way to measure how well you're doing your job is essentially by the success of your boss. And what you're optimizing for is what the company or the organization needs from that role and having the biggest impact.
1: And also, I think I recognize that from early on, like we live in a day in an industry where basically your, your CV is, is presented to everybody on LinkedIn. When I assess data scientists, if I see somebody who's basically worked for in a place or since they were graduates for, for 10 years, what that says to me is they have no ambition, that they get comfortable and they don't want to stretch themselves. If I see somebody vigorously testing themselves, trying different things out, i.e. not being scared to fail, then actually that's the type of person I want to work for them. Because even though they might only work with me for like one or two years or three years, what that shows is those two years or three years, they actually might do something which actually might change either the way I think about things or the way uh, one of my clients can think about things and that's what we're really here for.
0: That is really interesting because I think that the depending on, I don't know if it's dependent on the size of the organization or the type of the organization, sometimes change or creating change takes time and you have to, in order to do that, there's a lot of, I guess, sometimes political barriers to jump over a cultural or organizational. Sometimes you have to educate people. And I think that the human side of change is slower than the rate that we can solve problems, as in the type of problems that we face as, as data scientists.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about this a lot in the last couple of years. I think my initial approach sometimes has been too collaborative. I've worked with people where basically they saw me as a threat. If I did a good job, it showed that they did a bad job. And uh-huh. because they didn't have the right attitude to work and Learning, they were just basically thinking like, how long can I stay here before I get found out? The kind of imposter syndrome. And if you work with people like that, it's impossible. You can never change their mind. So actually, what I've had to do, and what my company has to have have done in certain cases, is go and take risks. Basically, get the data. Don't tell anybody what you're doing, almost, and say, hey, I've created this in my spare time, almost. I've done all everything you asked me to do, but actually in the spare time, I I, well, by the way, I've just created this model. It's it's predicting that if we do this, it's going to increase sales by 47%. Actually. Why don't we try that? Or actually just talk to the marketing people, talk to the advertising people, actually get it done. And actually hard results, making people money, especially in kind of commercial companies, that's the best language to use. And sometimes the way to do that is just by going it alone and taking risks. Because if you do that and things change for the better, then the world's your oyster. But otherwise what happens is that you can be in a company and you've got IT slowing things down because they don't want to put things in a cloudless server. You're not allowed to have certain tools downloaded onto your laptop you can't get the budget from somebody you're not allowed to get this data from somebody then you just spend years just getting frustrated and just basically creating excel reports or tableau reports which are just descriptive analysis and if you want to do that then fine but actually and get paid okay for it but actually if you really want to make a change and actually do work that you're actually proud of which is mentally stimulating then you need to take risks
0: Completely agree that you do have to take risks, and that sometimes those risks are best done in stealth mode, as yep. in, like, you're, yeah. you're doing the work incognito. Uh, Correct. Correct. You're doing the the work in secret. And then in the end, like businesses are made to optimize for certain outcomes and certain objectives. So as long as your work improves those outcomes that the business cares about, then the work will, will succeed eventually, even if it has to start in stealth mode when it's a seedling of work. Exactly. You might get some middle management or certain colleagues who will hate on you all day for
1: doing that. But if the CEO or the CFO or the managing director sees that actually this person is putting himself on the line for the benefit of the company because he truly believes that what they're doing is going to help the business and help everybody grow, then I know who I trust. I know who I try to promote. I know who I want to work with. Right? There's two types of people in the world. There's people who who are conservative and just basically want things to stay the same, and they fight tooth and nail this and they're incredibly boring and frustrating and there's lots of people especially in politics who fight for these things and there's people who want to change and all change is fought tooth and nail against these conservative people so if you want to change you need to be ready to fight for it or just have a, just have a nice easy life these are your choices especially for the data scientists who are at the start of their careers you need to be willing to fight if you think that going to data science and being successful at data science is just another way of doing nice math nice coding and you're going to be left alone it's not like that it can be pretty brutal sometimes but the reward are
0: are massive So true. I love that. It can be pretty brutal times. And it's, yeah, well, you must know, right? That's one of the reasons why I wanted to start the podcast is to essentially discuss what are the things that happen around the data science work that's typically thought of as, you know, doing the maths, building the models, doing the coding. Like, what else do we need to be thinking about as data scientists in order to create change in organizations? It's those things that, that you talk about, like doing projects in stealth mode, pushing for change, working with others in the organization having the right level of collaboration with others, being able to present well, and et cetera. Anyway, a whole myriad of other skills that are required for your data science work To see the light of day, to be in production, for it to cause a difference in the organization that that you work in, you need to be doing so many other things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, completely agree that it it can be brutal. And what are some cases in your experience and in your background where you had to push hard for change or that you had had a a solution that needed to be implemented? And even though the solution looked good, technically, there was other factors that maybe slowed it down or or make it difficult to get out. Three years ago, I had the worst experience of my data
1: science career. So I was brought in as a consultant to help one of the biggest management consultancies in the world to improve their own internal marketing. I was brought in like halfway through the program of work. Looking back on it, I would have quit within a week because I realized it was nothing was going to happen because the, pre- the people, the marketing team I was trying to help, didn't want to change because they were they thought they were happy with way it was and then therefore bringing in new technology, new techniques, new data, new people was completely unnecessary because they were poor quality people who uh, deserved to get fired. So they just made my life a living hell. I just remember one meeting where I just got shouted at for two hours on the phone. Amongst, it was humiliating actually amongst many people. So I'd for about six months where I just quit and thought my life and my kind of how I was living was miserable because it's almost like before you're having a meeting with somebody you're wincing because you know that you're going to get a barrage of criticism which is basically nothing to do with you but it's to yes. do everything about their insecurities but it's almost impossible not to take things personally and looking at what they're, how they're doing now is very powerful because they have this culture of intransience. so that's, that, that's a kind of sad story but Does what I've realised is that you need to understand that data science could help potentially help every company but maybe it can't help for for various reasons and it's sometimes cut your losses and leave this is where kind of feeling and instinct comes along it's like dating right if you meet somebody you know you get on it's the same with teams it's the same with companies if you can join a company and you go I just really like the vibe here I just really like how they do things go with that but if you go to a company and go oh my god it's just so negative and so critical and every mistake is jumped on and it's just everything's a fight and you don't even know why they're fighting it's just for the sake of it then just get out of there life's too short if you can so
0: completely agree yes and I remember had, when I was in consulting I, I definitely had, had cases where there was perverse like people didn't want the best outcome the best possible outcome yeah. perverse incentives that's also the word I was yeah. looking for and I always wanted to find out what was the difference or what were the types of players involved in the situation where some people would be contracting the work and wanting the project to be alive for certain reasons and then and there will be some people that are antagonizing the change in this case what were the titles or the responsibilities of the people in those two camps like the the ones contracting yes. the work and searching for a contractor versus the so, ones what antagonizing.
1: Often, so what often happens is that you have the cmo cfo or the ceo they know oh they have an idea like yeah artificial intelligence that's a good thing i read a lot about that i've read that oh some of my rivals are using are actually using that and they seem to be doing really well so actually I, i'll just tell my marketing team to use. You start looking to it and then just just do it. But the person in charge, the CEO, for example, might not actually have any idea what how to get artificial intelligence to actually benefit their company, but they just know it's a thing that everybody's using. Then you get this passed down, this notion of, hey, we've got this bit of budget, not going to be that much, to the marketing team who also don't know anything about artificial intelligence and say, okay, just make it work. So then what actually happens is that you often get people who, let's say, they're marketing the lower middle management who don't know what they want to do and don't know how to do it and don't have the capacity to do it. So what they do, they're trying to get a contract in, like me, and I, I tell them something which they don't understand. So the common thing what happens is if people don't understand what you're on about they just go, Oh, I'm stupid. Uh, mm-hmm. you're you must be wrong. Then they play the card of, Well, I've been working here for X amount of years, so I know the business better than anyone. So you don't know anything, so therefore you're rubbish. And then you just have this fight. And then because they have the connections within the company and you're a contractor on a zero-day like a notice period, then you obviously get booted out unless you can prove results really quickly and then prove them wrong. And that either they leave, which has happened before, or they get on board very mm-hmm. reluctantly me so it's the poor middle management which is the bane of my life people who just low ability people but when i say low ability what i mean is that they
0: fear change They fear change by not being willing to look past what they know and learn new things that's right that's okay and uh, there was a an executive in the last company that i worked in that she referred to those she called those middle managers the frozen middle yeah. and what she said is that there were people that had skills a long time ago but since being in management they focus on going to meetings and and pushing PowerPoints around. And therefore, they lost their skills and now are afraid of change because they haven't kept their skills up to date that's the risk of anybody who's technical one of the reasons I
1: never really went into management of people apart from now obviously is I always wanted to keep on learning data science there's thousands and thousands of algorithms out there there's probably too many for anybody to know but you still need to be on top of everything and you need to know what's new because what will happen when you get a bit more senior is someone's going to say oh have you used this uh, the random jungle algorithm or have you mm-hmm. used this new application of AI you'll go no or you'll just kind of make something up which will sound incredibly stupid and then people look at you going ah you don't know what you're on about and then that's when the cracks start forming so it's mentally challenging because
0: you need to keep on learning and that's great for some people but not great for others Exactly. And especially at the pace that data science is moving in right now, you do have to keep on learning and stay ahead. It doesn't mean that you need to be able to code every single algorithm or or even know. Yeah. Or know every single algorithm, but, uh, have a, I guess, functional understanding of what are the trends or what are the alternatives to to approaching problems. That's definitely goes a long way. So tell us about your um, company.
1: Yeah, sure. So we are a marketing AI company. So we are building the marketing departments of the future. So what that means is that in the old world or the current world, a big company would outsource their creative to an agency, then outsource their research to an agency, they're outsource their media planning and buying to an agency. And then what happens there is that you actually, your data is siloed and it's unable to be linked together. And if you can't link your data together, usually on a single customer view, transactional view, then actually you can't actually use the benefits of proper analysis, data science. So what we're doing is that we're building new departments where the creative team, the research team, the reporting team, say the pricing team, the product team, and the media planning and buying teams are all in, in the same structure and organization using the same data. That's where we see the future. That's the bet I've used. That's the risk I'm taking because I believe that every single company is going to go down this route.
0: Definitely. And how long have you been working on this?
1: Four years, me and my uh, business partner, Adrian, we were working for one of the biggest media agencies in the world. We started to see the big companies bringing everything, started to bring everything Mm in-house. And we thought, oh, this is sign of the times. The tides are changing and we want to be ahead of the curve. So actually what we did, to really give advice, you need to sometimes live it. So we quit our jobs. And actually what we did, we launched an online company selling light bulb, like special light bulbs, because we wanted to know every single aspect of a business, from the marketing, from the creator, from customer service, from the CRM. From the emailing and all obviously the advertising and how the data linked up ourselves and how artificial intelligence can help all that. So we did that. It was very difficult at the start, like trying to get 10,000 light bulbs from a factory in like northeast China, all the shipping and stuff like that. It was a bit crazy. But once we got that, we actually then sold out all our light bulbs incredibly quickly because we had a marketing system which learned by itself and was able to amend creative, amend advertising, and create automatic segmentations. So when we go into meetings, we actually know, yeah, we get your problem because we've lived it and actually not only do we lived it we've actually sold it in a very analogous way so it gives them confidence because we have confidence because we know what we're doing and how the
0: clients use the product or get success from your services
1: obviously I can't tell you the clients because the client confidentiality but we're looking at certain campaigns for certain products 300% more efficiency 300% more in sales because we're using their data properly and in a connected way there are some very easy low-hanging fruit which people are not doing especially in big organizations where they have lots of products for single customers everything's disjointed and you know as a consumer right like you know when when you get bad advertising, you just go why on earth they're selling this to me but then you get into maybe you get into the realms of something like Facebook or YouTube or Google Google when I go, oh, my God, how did they know I was doing that? How did they know I was really in- in looking into this, right? The gains and the, the possible positive outcomes are there only if you join the data, only if you have the right type of organization, only if you have the right structures within organizations where your left hand is not impeding the right hand. And that can be difficult. And that's what we do. Hopefully, that's what we're going to do for a long time
0: to come. Huge problem for businesses. Yeah, that definitely needs good solutions.
1: People should bring things in house. There's no need to have agencies doing stuff for you when you actually you own your data. Every company should have its sales data. So often you can't give your sales data to outside agencies. You should have your clickstream data based on your websites. You should have your app data. And that's the data you have. That's your best day because it's the most data you have, right? And then if you add on top of that your advertising data, some market research data, some other data sources, like Twitter feeds, Google, news, weather data, depending on what's type of products you've got and then you kind of overlay everything that's when the algorithms can really find kind of niches or like pockets of value that's where the magic is but only if you have the right structures in, in the first place
0: yeah exactly and how do you guys bring all that data
1: together it's hard because we there's often data all over in different systems. So what we do at the start, don't try to be too ambitious. You can work with CSVs, for example. Just get extracts from a day or two days or a few days and build your data model basically, understand your data, build see understand how it connects all together, and just do something simple that way. I think people are often too ambitious with what they're trying to do. They try to build the end solution far too quickly. Start small. Just get all your data together. Can you Dave sources even link together? And often they can't. The amount of times I've spent kind of digging around data layers. Trying to pass IDs from the Google Analytics to their CRM systems—it's crazy, right? If you can't do that, then you can never link your sales data to your advertising or your website data. So it's small things like that, and also have the right tools as well. A little tip for you guys: there's lots of automated tools out there. So actually, I believe that you don't really need to code anymore. Everything's kind of going towards drag and drop. You've got kind of companies like DataRobot, Dataiku, Rapid Miner, Canine, where you, they just do the—it's more about choosing which algorithms you want to use and building your data pipelines and data flows. And and this throws around and kind of hacking around trying to make sure that you haven't misplaced a comma in your R code or your Python code, right? So use tools like that to make things very really quick as well, as would be one of my recommendations. Just be quick, just be really like, super quick and just get things out there. Expose it. Like just say, hey, is this crazy? Does this pass a ridiculous test? If it does, great, let's move on. Iterate, iterate, iterate.
0: Love it. That's so true. That's the best way to move forward and improve. That's really good. And tell me, in your view, what makes a, a great data scientist?
1: I kind of touched on this before, technical skills are, are, are a given. Attitude, have a vigorous approach, at taking pride in your work at all in all times. So this is kind of the number one tip for all data scientists. What makes a good model isn't the algorithm or hyperparameter tuning or grid searching or it's the data. If you've got good data, you should always create good models. And the way you choose to create good data, create good features is by either understanding the problem that somebody's asked you and then understanding what data is relevant to that problem or creating new features or looking for new, creating new features by looking for New data which will help you represent how the world is. The thing is, as data scientists, there's two types of data scientists, right? There's a the data scientist. Who creates models which humans will actually see and then the data scientist who creates models which algorithms will feed from. The last one where the algorithms feed from, that's more like app development. And there's actually most people are kind of customer facing in my world. So actually you're creating models for humans. And if you create models for humans, actually what we are as data scientists is psychologists or sociologists. And you have to think of it that way. So if you're a psychologist or sociologist, you should see the world as does my data represent accurately and fairly the world in which I'm trying to model? If it doesn't, then what happens is you create bad models. So a bad model basically says, I don't have the data to represent what's actually going on. What often happens is bad data scientists will just keep on plugging away. Oh, maybe I'll do an ensemble model. Maybe I'll just change this type of parameter. Maybe I'll go back and get more historical data. That's not going to crack the problem. Cracking the problem is by solving, by getting new data. And sometimes a good data scientist can say no. A good data scientist says, hey, done some really quick analysis. And combine that quick analysis with my instinct as an experienced data scientist, you don't have the data. There's nothing here we can see. I'm not going to waste your time. What I recommend is either changing the problem, looking for something easier, looking for something which is possible, collecting more data if that problem is business critical.
0: That's right. You do have to look at the problems from a business perspective and from a wider lens to say, am I able to solve this? Is the motor going to be able to solve this problem given the data and the constraints that we have instead of keep bashing against the brick I'm, I'm, wall? One way you can do this, basically, is
1: to understand how good your model is, you need to get some results. So my recommendation to budding data scientists out there is just create a model at the start to give yourself a benchmark. So let's say your model has a F1 score of 0.5, right? Your first time around. You go, okay, is that good or bad? I don't know. You do another model, you play around, tweak some things, use another algorithm. You Maybe you get up to 0.55. Maybe play around with it 0.6. And then what that should tell you, after a few iterations, is that how good your model is going to get. If you're making big leaps, then yeah, the great continuous going if you're making little little incremental basically non-statistically significant leaps or improvements in your model then that's it your model is not going to get magically better out of nowhere by you finding the magic combination of algorithm hyperparameter, feature features selection feature generation in my experience it's not going to happen cut your losses look for new data communicate it to your clients and then start on a problem
0: where you can actually create real value and then that's when you start getting good and effective And tell me, uh, what do you think makes fantastic data science leaders? I would
1: say creating a culture where you can make mistakes and building a space around your data scientists so they can actually make mistakes. In terms of the latter part, creating a space is that you need to, if you're managing data scientists, you're representative of their work and you should defend them. And the way you defend them is by basically giving them space to make mistakes and also communicating with the business say, hey, they need two weeks for this. And knowing it takes two weeks, if you give me one day, that's not good enough. Also, what I mean by making mistakes is that data science is all about iteration and you should never think you'll get the first answer straight away. If you read or analyze how Kaggle competitions work it's all about iterations, making mistakes, learning from your mistakes, learning from other people's mistakes, taking that on board, and then working collaboratively. And then that's how you create that culture of, hey, let's try this. Okay, that didn't work. How about this one? Oh, yeah, that's really cool. Oh, that's, that worked. Okay, great. And then eventually you have enough time to do that kind of free play iteration experimentation. And then you can, that's the fun bit. And then you then that's when good results happen. If you live in an environment where it's like, hey, you've got six hours of push model. Okay, what happens is that your day, science will give you a model they won't have time to QA it they'll kind of panic a bit it'd be incredibly stressful result you can get that model give it to somebody else without really understanding what what what, how they somebody produced that model and if it goes wrong you'll throw that data scientist under under a truck you'll basically say oh it wasn't me it was them and you don't take
0: responsibility Mm -hmm. that's the worst scenario and that sometimes often happens unfortunately so and why do you think it's still uncommon or why do you think We don't have more of those good environments for data scientists being created.
1: Because data science is new. Most people didn't really do proper machine learning and data science in the past. And how it works is that if you do some work, good work, you buy yourself time, you buy yourself space to make mistakes. But if you're going in there, data scientists are not cheap and there's a lot of hype around us. And if you're not delivering results, the pressure keeps, you know, rolling, you know, getting higher and higher and higher. And the longer you don't produce results, the more pressure you're going to be under. So most data science teams don't deliver results, basically. And that's why you have this chain of blame. So that's why if you're going to a company, an old company with a new technique, which is data science, my recommendation would be buy yourself time by understanding your data, understanding the business Been then basically picking the best problem for the company with the data you've got to give them quick answers and then from that you should have time to then work on the harder stuff the people do it the wrong way because they don't understand how the system works buy yourself time by producing quick results and then you can do the hard stuff if you go in
0: there trying to do the hard stuff straight away you're going to have so many people out to get you then it's not going to work true So have that vision as a leader so you can prioritize the right work with a view of going for the quick wins.
1: Yep, exactly. You need to understand the quick wins. You need to understand how data science works and what your data means or how the business makes money or how the business is successful and the people around you. As I said before, I've worked in so many companies and data environments. These things are always universal. There are ways how individuals
0: can help that, but sometimes not. That's really great. And I only have one question for you. I want to ask you about a takeaway for the people listening. What would you like them to take away from this conversation, to leave here, something for them to think about or something that they should approach differently in their work or a piece of advice, any type of um, takeaway that you would like to leave them with.
1: So when I'm teaching, what I always say is know your data better than everyone and trust if somebody, and trust no one in terms of where your data comes from because your data is the foundation for everything you do. So spend time at the start just understanding where the database is, how it was created, what the values mean and document everything, create a data dictionary because they often don't happen, they don't work. And because what will happen is if you don't do this, you'll have a bad result. Model doesn't really work. You won't know why it doesn't work. Is it because you've made a mistake or you're using the wrong algorithm? Or is it because the data fundamentally the data which your model is based on is fundamentally flawed. If you don't understand where your data comes from, you'll never understand how your data is your data is flawed and you'll never understand why your model's wrong. It's the worst experience you'll have when you're under a time, you're under time pressure, you've got a deadline and your model's not working and you don't know why. And if you haven't done that groundwork, you haven't done that foundation work, then basically you're stuffed and people will just, yeah, be out to get you. So that's my takeaway. Also, Sorry, uh, let me add another one. Data yes. science is really fun in the right environment. You can do massive amounts of things. It's going to change the world very rapidly. And you know, if you want to get into it, that's a fantastic thing for
0: you because there's going to be so much more opportunity out there. I think we're at the very start of what's possible. It's a really cool thing to do. Love it. That is fantastic. And that is an awesome note to end on. Mate, thank you so much. Thanks so no much worries. for taking the time and for sharing all your insights and your philosophies. Extremely, extremely valuable for all the people listening, I'm sure. Thanks so much for taking the time to do the interview. Thanks very much, uh, and enjoy the rest of your uh, long honeymoon. Thanks, heaps. <laughs> DataSource Services is Australia's leading executive search and recruitment provider to the data and analytics industry. DataSource is chosen by many of Australia's most successful and innovative analytics teams working closely to understand customer needs and deliver the top performing candidates in the Australian market. From executives and directors through to project managers, BAs and technical specialists, our deep networks allow us to source the highest calibre of candidate. Our consultative and personalised approach to the recruitment process ensures the highest level of service and care across both contracting and permanent roles. Whether you're looking to hire or searching for your next career move, please contact Will at datasourceservices.com.au for more information. Exciting news listeners, University of New South Wales has launched a new Master of Data Science and it's 100% online. They have designed this program to deliver the skills that are in the highest demand and most difficult to find. It covers the advanced stats, programming, machine learning and strategy areas you need to be able to call yourself a true data scientist. To find out more, visit studyonline.unsw.edu.au that brings this episode to conclusion thank you so much for listening please find us on datafuturology.com or on facebook twitter linkedin or instagram as datafuturology also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes if you like this episode it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.